right on, right on, right on. Hey, right on. Welcome back to Right On Radio. Uh, yes, I am back. I am, well, I would say I'm refreshed, but I'm actually not refreshed. Uh, got back late after midnight last night. Uh, just to give you guys a bit of an update, I'm only here for a couple days and then I must continue on in some travels. But now that I am back, I will tell you about the first part of my travels. You know, we work with this uh, Patriot company that has been very good to us. We were calling it My Liberty Stand. We now call it switchaway.com slash ROR. And essentially, we're getting people to switch their shopping habits and stop feeding the cabal. But this Patriot company was so good. They ran a bit of a contest and it was actually really easy to uh, participate in the contest. It was super easy. And about 12 or 1400 of us completed the contest and the said Patriot company brought us all down to Tulum, Mexico. They paid for our airfare They paid for our accommodations, uh, all of our food. It was really brilliant, and it was incredible to be with so many like-minded people who know that we're in a fight, who know what we're doing, and who are really making a difference. And we're making differences in our communities. And if you have not signed up or at least seen what it's about. I'm telling you, we don't do multi-level marketing. We don't do anything like that. And, and if inflation is overtaking you a little bit and you, you know, even could use some money, there is definitely an avenue for you to, you know, even maybe get your shopping for free, uh, with minimal effort folks. Uh, but I want to just say thank you, uh, to, uh, the people and particularly our team, uh, we're we're really connected with some great people at uh, switchaway.com slash ROR. If you sign up, one of your fellow listeners will spend about 15, 20 minutes with you. It's not a sales pitch uh, by any means. It's more of an informational uh, session and think of it as a concierge uh, person will tell you why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and just introduce you uh, to a different store. So go to switchway.com slash ROR and uh, to each one of you that uh, that I met down there, uh, what a wonderful time and uh, you are some fantastic people. Now, without further ado, we have a great show for you. This has been uh, in the planning stages for uh, quite a bit of time. There's incredible amount of research going on and what we're going to talk to you about today is that JFK was not assassinated. And our guest, the oath-taking truth-teller, a legitimate federal eyewitness, uh, you know her, um, she's going to drop some bombs, folks. There's going to be, we're going to be talking D.B. Cooper. We're going to be mentioning all kinds of names. I'm sure George H. Bush is going to come up in this, and uh, I'm just going to roll the intro, and I'll be right back with Christy and our guest. News, views, opinions, and attitudes. Attitudes. There's actually uh, intriguing talk. You know, they talk about the news. And you have to respect them for that. 
You're listening to Right On Radio. Live right in the real world is the tagline of the show. We don't tell you how to live, although maybe we give you some pointers, particularly on our Sunday shows and we read the Bible together. But we do expose what the real world is. And yes, folks, the whole world has been a lie from Satan himself. And to help me prove it is my co-host. And I'm so glad to see Christy again. I wish we were in person together, but this will have to suffice for now. That's great, Jeff. I'm so glad that you're back because so many people have so many questions. And you know what? I can't figure it all out without you, Jeff. And I certainly don't like to set up shows without you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is going to be a multi... uh, we're, we're going to have to do this in multiple stages, this particular uh, broadcast, because the amount of evidence that Michelle Stefanik is bringing forward is overwhelming. Uh, you guys know her background. She was part of the in the bombings in the early 90s in the U.S. Embassy in Kenya. Uh, she survived. She is the oath-keeping truth-teller, and, man, she has been digging in because she realizes uh, what that was and all the things that have happened since then. She has been on top of it, and Christy, I suspect she is over the target here because her computer's already been hit this morning before we went on air. Well, she's been more than over the target, Jeff. She's actually been to all seven continents. So how many of us can say that we've been to all seven continents? Yeah, and and on official business, she was the ultimate insider. Like She was a controller, uh, you know, and she's the one who exposes some of these black budgets. Uh, uh, look, she really has to take incredible security measures, and I, I'm not understating that. And uh, as I've mentioned before, if you're new to the broadcast, the first time I had Michelle on, literally I had, well, who I will call, and maybe correctly or incorrectly, but I will tell you there were special operations people communicating to me through my screen and taking control of my computer, even though I've got all this fancy VPN stuff and that, which is absolute garbage to these guys because they were able to get in there flashing my lights, they're blinking my screen. They were literally talking to me in code uh, and confirming that they're large and in charge. But speaking of large and in charge, I'm not saying she's large, but she is a big personality and she is one of the biggest whistleblowers that we have ever had the privilege of welcoming on the show. Please welcome back to Right On Radio, Michelle Stefanik. Michelle, welcome back. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Christy. How wonderful this is. Again, I thank you for this opportunity. We have so much to cover in this, what I call the one long continuum. Um, And as I've connected the dots, oh, the dots, I very much look forward to this opportunity. Since our last discussion, Jeff, on what, Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022, and Christy, ours on Wednesday, August 17, 2022, things are going to get even more interesting, but I can tell you, we are closer and we are right over target. Yeah, Michelle, you're definitely over target for sure. And you know, what's really interesting is all of a sudden there's been a spike on the YouTube video that you and I did that's on the Patriots Perspective channel. <laughs> and people have just started asking all kinds of questions. And I, know, I appreciate you going on and answering them because they are even questions that I don't know the answers to. <laughs> Well, this is all in pursuit of the truth. And if you know you are 
the holder of truth and your pursuit is God's will, Amen. you have no fear. Amen. Yeah, that's right. And, so, and just before we get into this particular decode, Michelle, uh, just a just a sense. Uh, I we know you're connected. Uh, we know that you know you watch things very closely. Uh, just a quick sense of where we are at today in this total fight or this war, uh, which we are in. Uh, do you feel that we've turned the corner? Because I certainly do. Absolutely, we have. And this is a part of turning the corner, Jeff, because once we get the truth of this out, um, it, it, and it may happen before we get done with the entire series. I think but, it might. <laughs> yeah. but Either that or I think we might have a blackout, Michelle. No, things are, um, we're, we're, I just, my indicators are once we get this truth out, they know we're there. Yeah. Amen. All right, Michelle, I'm going to hand it over to you and uh, and tell me where you want to start here. I've got the first clip lined up for any time you want to go with that. Excellent. Uh, but why don't you give an introduction? Wonderful. So again, as a preface, my point is and remains, I am not looking at all this through a political lens because what is happening is beyond just simply politics. And again, there is no statute of limitation on murder nor on treason, because that is what we were, we are dealing with, and murder and treason is not limited to one political party. And it's from that context I have been and continue to present my discussion remarks, including today's. And as a U.S. constitutional oath taker, I took an oath to support and defend one nation, and only one nation, our nation, the United States of America, against enemies, foreign and domestic, foreign or domestic. So, are you ready? Ready. What I've Not done only is am I ready, I'm willing and able. And by the way, you got it easy just having to deal with the United States. I got to defend the United States and Canada, and I kind of feel that I should defend Mexico after my time there. <laughs> but the point is, I'm Jeff, truly nationwide. <laughs> we're the tip of the spear for the world. And we need to take care of our own house before we can assist others, guide them to assist in their own homes. Agreed. Does that the make whole sense? world is counting on the United States. Right. And that's why it's that's why I true. emphasize until we get our act together. We got to get our own house in order. That's right. So what I've done is I prepared a, a PowerPoint called President John F. Kennedy Assassination Attempt, November 22nd, 1963, to assist with this further deep dive, including applicable visual photos, video clips to accompany my remarks even deeper than my previous remarks. I've broken this out currently into a nine-part series, but hey, we can go God's will as far as we need to. But are you ready to start this journey? Oh, it's going to be interesting, all the twists 
and turns and where we end up, surprises and aha moments all along the way. So if you can please go to part one, page one of the PowerPoint to start our journey, I would appreciate it. Oh boy, look at this. They're really messing with us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hold on, let me reload that. It's perfectly fine on my screen, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's the flashing, man. <laughs> All right, let's try this one more time. If what, I can continue the remarks until you bring it up. How about that? All right. There we go. And for, for the uh, listening audience, we'll describe what uh, what you're going to what we're going to be showing, but I've got a video clip that's pulled up. Uh, and this is the first one. This is about a minute and a half, if I remember correctly. That's not mine. No, this is from this is the first link in the video. First timestamp. That's not the one I sent you. Yes. Do you have the PowerPoint? Yeah. yeah. Okay, there. So this is from the link. This is so from the link. There. And this is oh. at uh, at timestamp thirty nine eighteen. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Let me get through this first. Okay, now let me start with this. My conjecture is and remains: JFK was not assassinated on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. What was proven on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, at that time was the legal definition of conspiracy the attempt to assassinate the president of the united states with that though i do not agree with all the conclusions made in this and these applicable video and videos at this time these videos are the best i have seen to date regarding november 22nd 1963 and events surrounding it the first video is called JFK Truth, the Mob CIA and the Eight Paid Assassins. YouTube video, publication date, May 11, 2017. It's an hour and 25 minutes and six seconds long. Now, when I first became aware of this video on Thursday, September 30th, 2021, I couldn't identify who published this, this one other than based on the accent and assumed a British producer. That said, just recently in July 2022, I have since identified the publisher as Francis R. Connolly, since this video appears to be a spinoff, shorter version made from his longer video called JFK to 9-11, everything is a rich man's trick, made in 2014 of over three hours and 27.55 seconds by Francis Richard Connolly. My point is that now I'm aware of both of these videos. Okay, so I want to begin with this. As we proceed, I want to hear your and your audience comments, questions, aha moments along the way to make sure I've already addressed the question later in the series and to pulse where you are as well, particularly your aha moments, okay? So if you can please bring up the first shorter video, JFK 
Truth, the mob, CIA, and the eight paid assassins YouTube video, that would be wonderful. Okay, so I clicked this uh, this first link here. Well, uh, I sent you individual. I, I just sent you individual e emails. Uh, oh, okay. I, I, I'm just going from the PowerPoint. Yeah, Maybe. don't. They obviously are messing with that. <laughs> oh, so I have the wrong video loaded up. Right. Well, hold on. Let, let me just click this and see what happens here. Okay. Let me just give it a couple seconds, and you, your, our mics are going to be live while this plays. So if you want to say stop, stop. Okay, so this will play from Walter thirty-nine minutes to seconds. So while his business associate Avril Harriman was paying for Hitler's half million SS troops and supplying them all with brand new Thompson submachine guns, because he did. Yeah, no, this is not what I was showing. Okay. No, let me stop. Let me stop the share. That was a miscommunication. I thought I was going to be following along with the PowerPoint. No, I've sent you individual because of not knowing what they're going to do with those links. I've sent you the fresh links. All right. Well, you'll have to give me a second then. Oh no and problem. So Michelle, when it comes to when it comes to JFK, you know, there's been so many narratives go around whether. Um, there was, you know, obviously the one shooter, uh, there were multiple shooters. We know that, um, you know, the Cuban mafia, many members of the Cuban mafia had come forward saying, you know, that they were there and that I believe there was a totally leader, six or seven assassins assigned, um, that day to supposedly kill JFK, um, who was most likely not in the car. Like he was, you know, not the one there in the car right my my perspective at this point in time is to show that jfk was not assassinated yeah so obviously that would not have been him in the car so that's the hard part that people no, it may and i addressed that later in the series as well okay. okay that's what i was wondering i was wondering you know when people are thinking about this is you know, the mindset of how the government, how, how we have been manipulated and our minds have been manipulated based on the tell I vision. And I said, tell lie vision. I mean, tell a vision, tell lie vision. Um, it's, it's all sounds the same. And they've done this to us on purpose so that they could control our minds. We know this from people um, that have been MK altered, like Kathy O'Brien, of how easy it is um, to be manipulated. For instance, a child can, can actually be manipulated within 24 hours by a parent. They, their narrative can completely change. Um, and in 48 hours, a grandparent or close relative can completely manipulate the child. Um, and then in 72 hours, a total stranger can, um, manipulate the child. So if we think about us, you know, as, you know, adults even, you know, we've like been manipulated by everything from the Simpsons cartoons to um, regular television shows and even the nightly news. If based on what I have acquired as a firsthand victim and witness to the manipulation and deception and the nefarious of what I've had to just experience trying to get my story out. Mm hmm goes to show this is very live and this is very real mm -hmm. to this day to even me getting my story out 
yeah. the truth out. Yes. How are we doing over there, Jeff? All right, I've got it lined up, uh, but I'll need the time stamp. Okay, so please go to and play 39 minutes and 18 seconds to 40 minutes and 45 seconds. Okay, one second, just getting to 39, 39, 13, that's close enough. Yep. And I will share the screen. And for the listening audience, if there's anything we need to describe to you, we will. This will be a very short clip. All right. And uh, your mic will be live, so you can just say where and when to end it as well. So here we go with the mob CIA and the eight paid assassins. Clip one. They then guided the family members into the building while the hearse was ordered to the rear to unload. But that was where the simplicity ended. The FBI men and many other witnesses recalled a scene of absolute mayhem in which no one seemed to know what was going on. And military men were rushing around everywhere, exchanging anecdotes about decoy ambulances they had been ordered to follow, which had become high-speed chases around the hospital grounds as these vehicles raced away. It seems this confusion was created with the intention of misleading both the press and the large respectful crowd which had gathered on the lawn. People were asking each other which ambulance contained the president's body. Then a rumor started that it was coming by helicopter, but which one? Everyone watching that night recalls the air was filled with them. And the FBI men also told Lifton that in the midst of all this mayhem, they helped to carry the casket inside. This was flatly denied by the team of Navy men who said they did it alone. It is therefore perfectly clear that two bodies were brought to the morgue separately whilst confusion reigned. And it was now that the plotters themselves became confused by the mayhem they had created because they left J.D. Tibbetts' cadaver in the wrong casket. It should have been switched and gone into the autopsy room in the large expensive casket used in Dallas. Stop there, there, Jeff. Okay. Now, keep that chaos, confusion on the ground in mind, particularly the numerous military helicopters, like a U.S. military operation even, right? So what possibility does that make feasible? A military, U.S. military operation. Perhaps even an escape plan strategy for the not assassinated, very live president of the United States of America, JFK, that was flown back to Washington, D.C., lying in a coffin even, to be whisked away either by ambulance or U.S. military helicopter. So, okay, now I want you to go back to 3750, and we're going to play it from 3750 to 3802. Okay, and just for the listening audience, uh, one thing that I want to make sure that everyone knows, and I might have the timeline wrong, but it was seven to ten days before this 
that JFK gave his famous speech about essentially smashing the CIA uh-huh. into a thousand pieces, and he made his famous deletes speech. Actually, do you have that reference? Because all the sourcing I have said that he's never said it. Oh, that that fa- very famous speech that he he never said about smashing the CIA. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. it's probably his most famous speech. He certainly didn't say that. Okay, because other people are saying that he did. A thousand didn't. pieces, he said. And it was it was like a week before the said assassination. But just like whenever what he said about the Marilyn Monroe birthday, he came right out and said that he was that he gave code that he was no longer going to be in politics soon after. But we can go into that later. Yeah, well, the, the plot certainly okay, so thickens, especially with John John coming up into the scene. All right, I'm going to play the clip from here. It's uh, from 3747, close enough. Of the yeah, Liggett performed this ghoulish service while the aircraft he was on, Air Force Two, went through the usual procedure of leapfrogging Air Force One to arrive at Andrews Air Force Base slightly earlier. Okay, you can he stop there. So Air Force Two leapfrogs a very internal procedural detail, relatively few and in the know would be aware of before at that time, right? Don't you agree? Absolutely. Air Force Two arrives earlier than Air Force One. Huh. So what possibility does that make feasible? Thus, making this chaos that they arrived to an exit strategy as plan A exit plan being an ambulance and all the decoys, plan B being a U.S. military military helicopter and all the decoys, deception abound, amongst all the chaos and with air force two leapfrog arriving first minutes prior to the decoy air force one so can you see it the possibility the feasibility and the capability the plan b exit so where could would a U.S. military helicopter carrying the very much alive and the very uh, well president JFK lied to without looking suspicions. Given JFK was U.S. Navy, my conjecture would be to a Commonwealth of Virginia, U.S. military, U.S. Navy installation. Norfolk, perhaps. Virginia Beach, perhaps, my conjecture, U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. A successful, undetected escape for the not assassinated, very live president of the United States, JFK, and perhaps, perhaps, accompanied by the very live and real First Lady uh, Jackie Kennedy? Perhaps, but I have more thoughts on that coming up later. 
JFK flown back to Washington, D.C. on Air Force Two, not Air Force One, and I would assume, though possible, not while lying in a coffin. Okay, so now I want to go back to this. A 2912 to 30 minute 30 minutes 11. So 2912. Okay, but before I play this, I have a couple quick comments. Sure. To make. Uh, the first one is uh, in the very first clip, it showed that even the people planning this, uh, it ensued into chaos and they possibly even became confused by their own chaos. And I would suggest to the audience to pull off a massive operation like this. They needed so many people involved. And because they can't put all this stuff in writing, you know, and they're getting some people who really aren't in on it that have to fulfill roles. So there is going to be chaos that they cannot control through this. So I, I would say that is number one. Uh, also, you know, where there's bad guys doing stuff, there's also good guys doing stuff. And uh, the fact that you pull out Virginia as being uh, one of the one of the things that you're suggesting here, Michelle, uh, I'll just mention this. Uh, General Vallelay last year went on record talking about the Q team being about 800 uh, military uh, assets in Virginia. And many people say that the whole Q thing started based on these events in 1963. So I'll just throw that See, in as a commentary. What I would offer to you, because I don't want to mislead on my conclusions as to where we're going on this, if it's a real black op, there are a handful, only a handful, more only a very, 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 very restricted few because they depended on the chaos of the big machine to do exactly what they do. That is the difference between a U.S. Army operation mm -hmm. and a U.S. Army Black Special Forces operation. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I 100% I, I agree. And that's why I say, like, the, to pull it off, they would still have to use some assets that are not in the know uh, as well. They so, wouldn't have used the chaos, uh, them as assets. They would depend on the chaos that they themselves would create, knowing right. how they operate. I, I'm in agreement with you. Okay, okay. Here's, here's this clip. Because what would they find? Mafia hoods? With prison records as long as they're arms? I don't want to go down the mafia lane. What was the timestamp you said? 28? To 3011. Right now, oh, what we're talking was not assassinated. So Sorry, I, I started 12, at 28. 29. My mistake. Here we are. One of the Dallas medical team. Dr. Charles Crenshaw, a junior doctor at that time, vividly recalls what the first professionals in the Kennedy killing had to deal with. 
The second wound was here in the throat, right above the necktie. It was a small opening, very small, three to five millimeters, about the size of your little finger. I looked at the wound again. I wanted to know and remember this the rest of my life. And the rest of my life, I will always know he was shot from the front. And also describe the portion missing from the rear of Kennedy's head after the impact of the frangible bullet, which hit him in the right temple. The bullet struck about where and passed about where? From here through. And taking out the... the back or the occipital part, the back of your head. This was gone. Okay, you can stop there. Now you can pause there because that's where we'll be picking it up. Okay, so Parkland doctor, Dr. Charles Crenshaw, adamantly states regarding the small throat wound, quote, the second wound was here in the throat right above the necktie. Remember, well, remember necktie because it'll play out later. Quote, it was a small opening, very small, three to five millimeters about the size of your little finger and the frontal head wound from here through taking out the back of the occipital part, the back of your head, this was gone. Huh. Okay. So are you starting to see? Okay. So now let's continue from where you left off from 3012 to 3030. Uh, 3036 with the first press conference. Okay, and I do have a note to make about the bullet wound through the forehead. I don't know about the one in the throat. Um, well, I'll, I'll let it continue and then I will share my thought afterwards. Well, so wait I'll... till you see what Jay Wildner re reports. Okay. okay. So this is from 3012 to 3036. Like one o'clock Central Standard Time today. You're in doubt. Sorry? It's not up on the screen. Oh. <laughs> Jeff, you're doing good. We're we're breaking Jeff in today, Michelle. Oh yeah, no, this is this is a lot of logistics, believe me. Yes. Nope. Thank you for pointing that out. Here we go. Okay. This was gone. At approximately one o'clock Central Standard Time today, here in Dallas. He died of a gunshot wound. This information in soon made its way to the media. This is why, at the very first press conference, press secretary Malcolm Kilduff correctly described the cause of death and direction of the shot. We, you can stop I want to ask one really quick question. Did he just say first press conference? That was the first press conference yeah. total? Yeah. Or that was the first press conference regarding this? That was the first press conference. And that was Press Secretary Malcolm Kilduff. Okay. Correctly. Another thing I noticed regarding that is Parkland. You know, Parkland. Parkland school shootings, Parkland hospital, Parkland. Oh, I mean, so you get where now you're starting to see. Okay. So press secretary Malcolm Kildoff 
correctly identified the direction of the head wound shot, but does not, did not mention the second wound, the throat wound at all. So the press secretary wasn't aware or he wasn't told about it. I wonder why not, if not, must be something larger at play, a U.S. military black op, perhaps? So then I wonder if it was even JFK or possibly Jackie, for that matter, in the presidential limo at that time on November 22nd, 1963, to begin with. Instead, maybe body doubles at minimum for the president, if not for both. Possibly. We'll get back to that. But what we now know for sure is the body has to have, as what was reported by the Parkland doctor, the small throat wound and a frontal head wound. With that, now, if you can please go to part two, uh, page two of the PowerPoint, and pull up this next applicable possible uh, applicable video recently made after and since my public on the record conjecture that JFK was not assassinated in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. This video was posted on May 14, 2022 by Jay Wildner and Ryder Lee called the new look at the Zapruder film and assassination of JFK. And again, though there is lots of which I agree and much I've learned, I also have many differences of opinions, other possibilities for consideration highlighted throughout this video. The most significant I want to highlight at this time. So if you can please bring up that second video and we'll start at 20 minutes, 30 seconds to 29 minutes, and then we'll pause. By the way, I think this, while Jeff's pulling that up, this entire series that you're, you're taking clips from is an excellent, excellent recount. This is the, the best one that I think I'd ever seen um, regarding the real theories. Right, that. but I do not agree with the British com- conclusions. But- no, 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 not the conclusion. I never agree with their conclusions because they have to tell this. They, if you, if you just almost, if you watch, here's here's what I'm going to say to people. Even on the History Channel, if you watch things for yourself and you don't even listen to the conclusions that they give, then your mindset is going to be completely different because that's their goal is to make you think that you're right all along, but then come back and give you a conclusion and tell you that you're wrong. So I have figured out every show, listen, I've, I've, you know, helped produce a lot of shows and write a lot of shows. Okay. That's what, that's what show writing is for. That's their, that's their methodology. So I'm going to encourage everybody to listen to the videos, but don't listen to the conclusions. Just stop at the conclusions and draw your own. Okay. Right. But definitely focus in on the point that I'm raising 
and look at it from a lens that this is a military operation. Yeah, I agree with you. I 100% agree. But that's what I'm saying. It, it, they give you the facts, okay? But then they try to wrap it up in a conclusion that's an untruth. And that's why I'm using their own documentaries mm -hmm. to say, well, yeah, that's true. But if you look at this piece and this piece and this piece, it paints a whole different picture. Right. Right. Because they need, to, they, need, they need to frame the narrative for people before they have the opportunity to think about it for themselves. That's what they're right. trying to do. So this is from 2030 to 29 minutes. Okay. So here it goes. Uh, uh, and then we have our splice as soon as it goes by the freeway sign. And then the car comes out from behind the sign and um, it, Kennedy does this. And this is where everyone thinks that he um, got shot in the neck while he's behind the sign. Um, and then he, I know you guys aren't going to believe this, but he goes, has his right hand, right cheek. He, he, he goes like this, and he kind of obscures the whole thing by putting his other hand here like this, kind of obfuscates it a little bit. And then he goes like this. And then there's something on his face. It's right here. And it's protruding. You can see the shadow of it. Yeah, you can clearly see that his face is different whenever he has his hands up and he's messing with his face. It's it's different. There's something on his face. Yeah. Yep. And um, and for about four seconds or so, um, he just sits there with this thing on his face, not really doing anything. Um, he's, it, it, there's no blood coming out of his neck anywhere. Um, uh, I'm a... Uh, I'm a, I'm a hunter and you, you want to hit the neck you're hunting elk or a deer. That's where you want it. Cause that way you don't have to chase it down. Cause it's just going to bleed out in you know, 30 seconds or so. And um, if he had been shot in the neck back or front, it would have gone blasting out like that. Um, the, the pressure right here is so huge on the human body that literally the car would be covered with blood. Connolly and his wife, the people in front of him would be just, It'd be like a shower of blood. Or if it was facing down, the whole back seat of the car would be just, it would be everywhere, everywhere. You cannot believe how much a neck wound bleeds out quickly, too. He would have been 30% bled out in the five seconds afterwards if he'd been shot in the neck. But there's no blood at all. So then, um, so for four or five seconds, he sits there in the car, kind of looking strange with this thing on his neck, uh, on his head, on his cheek. And then all of a sudden, Jackie kind of perks up and she kind of comes over and she leans over. And then Abraham's a brooder does a really odd thing, which a cameraman would never do. It's, he's got the president. He's now the closest the president is to his camera. And he lifts the camera up and jams Jackie and, and, and JFK down to the bottom of the frame. So they're well, all suddenly they're cut off like right here, which is a very odd thing for a cameraman to do. Anybody, even an amateur would always keep them center frame. And then you see this like movement by Jackie, you know, good version. You can actually see that something moves between her hand and that thing. And I'll tell you what, what's going on. That's when it goes off. That's when all of a sudden JFK get, looks like he got shot and he flies backwards just like uh, Oliver Stone says in his movie. And then he immediately sinks down below the car. Now, Jackie, 
um, who is right there when the uh, bullet smashed into her husband's uh, head, uh, saw it firsthand within a foot of her uh, face. Uh, does she go down to the car and crouch down on the bottom of the seat to avoid bullets flying? No, no, but, no, no. That's what you would think would happen. That's what, what I would do. That would be the standard reaction to do. Absolutely. Everybody dives down when there's bullets flying. So, and everybody did, by the way, because they were lighting fireworks off. But anyway, so um, uh, Jackie starts scrambling to the hood of the car, the back hood of the car. And at the same time, a Secret Service guy jumps up on the back of the car. They're both kind of coming towards each other. And then it looks like the Secret Service guy picks something up and gives it to Jackie. She retrieves whatever it is. Satisfied, she goes back and sits down in the car. Yeah, that was Clint Hill that was on the back of the car, right? Yep, yep, yep. He was there in, like, record time, too. Like, soon as, like, JFK got hit, he was, like, right there on the back of the car. And noticed that by watching the Zacruder film. Yeah. And another interesting thing is that right when uh, uh, Jackie's attending Jack and then the thing goes off, right, every single person in that car, the driver, the guy sitting next to the driver, Connolly, his wife, and Jackie are all looking straight at JFK at that second. The only time in the entire uh, driving in the 28 seconds, are they all looking at him? And they just have to be looking at him right at the right moment, right, to see it. So that itself is a coincidence, uh, quite a coincidence. So what is going on here? So what's going on here is, and I know this is going to shock, and I know the conspiracy theorists hate my guts, and the uh, government theorists already hated my guts. So might as well just get in for all the hate, so just bring it on. Um, <clears throat> In 1953, uh, I, uh, I, I, I can't remember the name of the movie now. I'll, I'll remember it's, it's a Western uh, that was made. Uh, uh, was the first use of a Hollywood device called a squib. A squib is a device that simulates a gunshot wound used in movies. Now, when nineteen, uh, that's like a prosthetic, uh, prosthetic explosive device uh, right. that's used to simulate so, a wound. Yeah. So you want you want you want a wound to blow up here on your on your on your body, right? You're out chopping wood, and the bad guys come and they shoot you. And, uh, you know. So what you do is you take. Um, they're manufactured uh, uh, professionally, but mostly in Hollywood, they got guys who do this themselves. They make each custom made for each individual thing that they need it for because uh, you know you have different you want it to blow up here it's going to be different than all year and um so what they do is it has a thin plate that's maybe like four times the thickness of aluminum foil right it's just a little plate that's that's so just enough and that's designed to protect the actor from getting hurt okay then the next layer is gunpowder and on each end are two little uh igniters Okay, they just put out a spark, right? And then over the top of that, you put your fake blood. And then what they like to do is, uh, we used to do is, we would uh, crumble styrofoam up and then stick styrofoam into the fake blood. We'd pick it all in and that way it looked like bone matter flying out. And then you take uh, uh, like a prophylactic, 
like a uh, condom would work really good and you and uh, a flesh colored uh, condom whatever you know race your actor is you get that kind of color and you stretch that over the whole thing and then you know, on the very bottom you put stick them and you stick it right here and then there's a string in the old days it was a string now we have a remote you hit a remote and it'll go bam. But in the old days, you had to have a string that would pull the, to light it. So you'd have the so you, you strategically place the the wood. So you could get a string to go around the back and then go down and, and you know a technician would be down there and pull at the right time. And in Kennedy's case, uh, he puts a squib on and uh, Jackie comes over and pulls the string. And that's why they optically had to move them down into the bottom of the frame so Jane, her arm would just be right out of frame so we, you can you can barely see her arm in the zacruder film in that cleared up version the mk davis film and she it looks like she's pulling down but you can't see her entire arm yeah yeah then that would be and, and by the way dan rather they took dan rather in he was a young intrepid reporter in dallas at the time, and they took him in. He, he was the guy they decided to show the Zabruder film in 1963 to. All right, then he would tell us what was on there. All right, so he came out and said, "Oh yeah, awful, terrible film. He got shot in the head. And, oh my God!" Right, and they were, "Oh, Dan Rather, he's you know incredible guy. Sure, we'll listen to him." So um, for years, that was what it was. And then in 1974, Geraldo. Rivera, he was a young guy at the time, he got a copy, a poorly, a poor res copy, and he showed it on late night show that he had. I can't remember what it was. Hello, America or something. Anyway, I was up. I remember, man, man, I was all excited. And I, my God, I'm going to see this Bruder film for the first time. Right. And uh, so I remember that I got my popcorn out and I waited and waited and I watched it. And it was so low res. I really couldn't tell you what was going on. But the next day, Dan Rather came out and said, that's not the film I saw, which I thought was really strange. And so James Fetzer, the conspiracy theorist, professor, I think, at University of Minnesota, I think, or maybe Michigan. Anyway, a nice guy. I know him pretty well. And um, he wrote a whole book on, on the Zabruder film. Really interesting book. And proves that the Zabruder film has been optically uh, changed. Um, and and with and his proof is good. I mean, it's, it, as a, as a person who's worked on uh, physical effects and technical effects and optical effects, I can tell you that he did a, a bang up job in his technical analysis. Now, where he comes up short, and because again, he's working with really substandard quality at the time of film. Where he comes up short is he thinks that they stopped the car for the shot because he's an ex-marine and he can't he can't figure out how the the gunman can hit a moving target that well and, and i have that trial problem too you know i have a real problem with that you know even in the grassy knoll dude he's still got to hit a moving target you know and believe me it's hard 20 miles an hour is, or even 15 miles an hour it's, that's that's moving fast for, for a lead uh to lead something so anyway um uh, and so I've read that book and, 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 and he, it was optically changed, but not for the reasons that James Fetzer thinks it was optically, uh, altered to hide Jackie pulling the string. And that's what the splice is about. The split from the splice on is the optically altered Zabruder film. And what that is, is they, they somehow cut out Jackie and Jack 
and blew the background up a little bit because the people are too big behind them. They're too big. They're, they should be smaller. Now they're almost the same size as Jackie and Jack. And they, uh, and then they lowered that down to high Jackie, uh, 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 pulling the string. And then when they had that done, and that was probably a lot of work, then they felt like they could finally release the Zapruder film. So, um, so, uh, yeah, let's look at these, uh, let's look at, let me bring up these pictures really quick so we can get a visual aspect of what's going on here. And before I, uh, share the images and, uh, the screenshots, um, I just want to say that these images and video is for educational purposes only. I do not own any of these images or illustrations presented in this video. And under the Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowance is made for fair use for the purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. And that is exactly what we were doing here today is commenting on the images and video presented. Yeah, no intention of making any money off of this. Okay. Okay, so this is our first uh, yeah. screenshot here. Okay, so you can see the people up at the bottom of the frame, how they're lined up. That's that's Hollywood style lining up. That's how you line people up to make it look like you've got a lot of people. But if you start actually counting uh, head by head, right, you, you, there's not very many people there. Now, what's interesting is I went, yesterday I went through about a thousand photographs that were taken that day in Dallas. And I, I'll say that there were larger crowds at some point earlier in this parade, but I don't know where there wasn't. These shots were not at Dealey Plaza. It looked like some shopping mall or something. So he did have large crowds apparently earlier in the parade. So, uh, but the Dealey Plaza where most of the people would be because that's downtown. Um, strangely enough, do not does not have that many people for a nice, beautiful, sunny uh, late November day, and uh, yeah, you would think that thousands of people would be out there to see the president. Uh, yep, yeah, but they are lined up like that, and it's really yeah, interesting how it's just one way. It feels staged to me. Okay, so now here comes the president and his uh, six-seated uh, limo. Um, usually, the Secret Service guys would be running next to the limo to uh, act as uh, interference, right, for any bullets or anything coming through. But for some reason, on this day, they decided to just kind of hang in the back and just let the car go on its own, breaking every Secret Service protocol. Also, the windows in the buildings above were all left open. Uh, that's against a Secret Service protocol, too. All the windows have to be closed and locked when the president comes by, but they weren't. Um, just very interesting. Uh, so here we go. There's the freeway sign on the right corner. That's the Stemmons freeway sign. And there's Kennedy going behind it. Okay, so we missed the splice, but we're going to get to that later. The, in between these two frames was the splice. This is Kennedy coming out from behind the sign, and you can see that his right hand is now up to his neck, and this is why everyone thinks he got shot in the neck when he went behind the freeway sign. Okay, now Kennedy is taking something, doing something with his right hand, 
He's, to me, he's taken something out of his coat here, and now he's in right here. Now the hand is like right here. Okay, now, oh, we missed the frame where he put it on his, his cheek. In between those two frames is a frame where he puts something on his cheek, and you can now see that there's something on his cheek. Yeah, uh, we'll see this in the in the video that, um, yeah. that we show after these screenshots. Yeah. So then Kennedy just kind of looks down. Now Jackie's getting interested in it. You look how far down the uh, frame. What What is the brooder thinking? And look how big those people are. Those people are way too big. Look at Jackie's head, right? And then look at look at these people. They're almost the same size. Yeah, they should be smaller because they're further away. Blew them up. So what they did is they cut out all of this. Look at this lady in the background right here. Look how tall she is. She's almost as tall as the two people that are standing on the sidewalk there. That's exactly right. This has been optically screwed with. But conveniently, you can see the squib. We'll see it better. But conveniently, you can't see Jackie's arm anymore uh, because uh, Zabruder is the worst cameraman on earth. Or they optically moved it down and that's what they did they optically moved it down to hide jackie's elbow action because you pull a string you're going to have you're going to have elbow action and you're going to have wrist action and you want to hide that because you don't want anybody to see it but you can clearly see this the thing it's a flesh colored object on the right cheek okay there she pulled it and you can see everybody's looking at the at the at the explosion every single person in that car is looking at the explosion. The background just looks strange, but think about it. You're at Dealey Plaza. This is the park. I've been there. This is the big central park of downtown. There's nobody there. There's nobody there behind. In fact, as soon as he comes behind the freeway sign, you stop seeing people pretty much altogether, bystanders. You see two or three, four or five, but pretty much that's it. So now they pull the thing. Jack, um, JFK is uh, been shot, they tell us. You can see stuff flying in the air uh, above his head. Now he falls backwards against the seat. Yes, and Oliver Stone is right. It's to the back and to the left. No doubt about it. Do the next one. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? I, whenever I was watching this, it, it looks like that whenever the squib explodes, it's reflective. Like there's something reflecting off of his face. There shouldn't be any reflection there. Even if it's bone, the, the bone shouldn't cast a reflection off of his face onto the camera. So it's something, it's yeah. shiny. It's shiny. Yeah, that's the, that's the uh, tin plate. Remember I told you that there's a little tin plate? That's the tin plate. And it's, if this is lousy, um, this is a lousy version. We're going to show you a really good version later. Uh, but it rolls up his face like an old-fashioned um, shade, window shade. It rolls up his face, and on the good version, you can see it fly off his face. Now Kennedy is sinking down into the car uh, inexplicably. I don't know why he would be doing that except just to hide. And Jackie doesn't care about him anymore. Uh, she was really concerned, but now she doesn't really care if he falls down into the car and maybe even causes further damage to his already wounded body. Uh, she's more interested in, oh, and here comes, uh, what's his name? The, um, Clint Hill. Uh, yeah, Clint Hill. Here comes Clint Hill. He, uh, Jackie is, looks like she's uh, doing the last thing you would do if bullets were flying at you. Um, Clint Hill. Bigger target. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> this thing is so staged. Uh, um, 
There's Clint. He's now getting on the car. Jackie's reaching over. It looks like to get something. What is it? You can almost see it. It's silvery right there next to her hand. Yep. You see it? Yep. Okay. So then Clint Hill, finally, it's about friggin' time, dude. Jeez. He finally gets into the car to help. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, and then. Jeff, can you pause for one second? Because I want people just to think. Yeah, pick something up. And now. But think, I want everybody to think logically here, okay? There is no way if your husband, if you think he's got shot or something's wrong, you're going to reach over the back of the car to let someone else in the car. Why would you do that? You're going to reach down. You're going to lay them down yourself and try to cover them. Or your human nature is to, like, cover a person, you know, like a child. If, if there's shooting going on to basically you know, get down as low as you can, like almost push them down as low as you can to prevent any bull other bullets not to reach back and grab for somebody else. Now, Jeff, where are we at on that, that, that video? 39.43. Okay, so let's continue playing to 41 and then let's take a pause. Now he's handing it to Jackie. Yep, you see him right there. The two two of their hands touch. Yeah. Yep. Now Jackie's getting it. Yeah, and that's uh, the the end of the uh, screenshots that I have for that one. And the next one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so now let's um. Uh, what do you want? To, let's show the. Oh yeah, this okay, is. So let's stop there. Parkland Hospital. Um, taking. Okay. So now, if we can move forward to forty-seven. 15. Jeff's doing a really good job. And he's muted right now. Jeff, you're muted. Jeff is muted. Can you hear him? <laughs> I no, I'm oh, I apologize. I, I because my speakers play the audio, I have to mute my uh, <laughs> my microphone. It doesn't come out as clear. Uh, so what I was saying uh, was, I really appreciate what you've put together here, Michelle, and uh, and I appreciate your comments as well, Christy. I actually have an alternative explanation uh, okay. that I have some very good intel on because i have seen stuff that you guys have not seen oh okay uh, and i will bring that up but i'm going to let this continue but i will tell you uh between what michelle is bringing here and what all the stuff we're bringing out and what i have to tell you uh we're gonna get to the bottom of this and it's important because this was a u.s president who was apparently fighting the cabal and we're kind of in the same situation right now you said 40 minutes or 47 47 15 47 15 coming right up to 5225 all right oh it slipped 47 oh nine we'll go there to okay. to which number uh 47 15 to 5225 all right here we go. 
knew what was going on and uh that's it. Now let's watch the, yeah. Now this is MK Davis. MK Davis is a very interesting guy. He does really, really good Bigfoot research. He's a filmmaker like me and he understands optics and filmmaking. <clears throat> and you know how um, Peter Jackson took those old uh, World War I uh, movies and then turned them into uh a uh, sleek looking colorized modern. I don't know if you've seen these. They yeah. can take and they, they turn them into 60 frames a second with color and turn everything. Turn them up and de blur them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all, the, all the ridges smooth out. And what the computer does is it actually fills in the frames, right? It, it fill, it, it, it's an AI that fills in the frames. And so you get is a, a much smoother, uh, better resolution. Uh, version. That's what's so great about those old movies is you can go to like, you know, San Francisco in 1910 and, and, you know, it, it's done in regular motion. So it's not jerky and it's colorized. And you can see how people look. Well, he did that. He ran that. There's a Bruder film through that same software that Peter Jackson's using and all those other people are using. Yeah. This is probably the best de-blurred and stabilized uh, version of the Zabruder film that, that I've ever seen. Yeah. It is. All right. So let's check it out. Why don't we run through it? Yeah. Yeah. There's the plate. See the plate? There goes Kennedy. There All right. Go. All right. We're going to let it roll one more time. Okay. Here we go. Now we're going to do it. She got that piece. No, he did not give it to her. She got it on her own. Yeah. There he's pulled it out of his coat. He's just stuck it on his cheek. There it is. You can see it. Yeah. Jackie lets him sit for a few seconds. Then she pulls the string. The plate rolls up his head. She goes, and you can see it. You yeah. can see she it. put it on right there. Yeah. And his so face that, is different right there. Yeah, I like this one. So there you go. There you can see it. Really clearly, the, there's the squib, and that's what explodes. The thing that you're looking at, the thing that has the shadow, the thing that has the form is exactly what explodes. Um, and it is a squib, and, and you got to remember, a squib had only been invented 10 years earlier. A Hollywood technician could be watching the Zabruder film in 1963 and not know what they just saw because they were not that familiar with the Zabruder film. And... Um, yeah, let's watch it again. Yeah, there he is. He pulls it out. He just stuck it on his cheek. He's leading there, not doing anything. She pulls the string. The silver plate, I mean, the metal plate rolls up his head. She goes and grabs the uh, piece of it that got off so that no one can see it. There. Yeah, yeah. She looks like she's reaching for it, and Clint grabs it first. And then That's he, what I think happened, yeah. He hands it to her. He reaches in conveniently just as he goes past. There's the plate. You can see it. You can see the plate hey, shining in the in the noonday sun. And there's another thing that needs to be said about this. I'll say it in a second. You know what? This is a nice slow motion. There's that thing on his face. Then she comes over. Oh, what's going on? Oh, boom. So um, um what I, what I want to say here is that what we're not considering here is that a um, can we stop that, Jeff? Are we good? High power weapon. Oh, okay, we're not there yet. Okay, fifty-two twenty-five. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
to the side of the face like that or the side of the head, whatever, right? Um, half, his, half his head would be gone. I mean it. Half of his head would be gone. It doesn't matter. It could be the book depository. It could be the grassy knoll. doesn't matter. You hit a headshot like that. You are, there's not, not going to be... No head left. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a, just a gigantic cavity there. And the, and the crap is going to be flying. I mean, flying. There's going to be brain matter everywhere. And why does Jackie act like that? You know, why yeah, does she, you can see that she's not trying to actually get out of the car. Her legs stay in the car, like backseat of the car the entire time. Yeah, she's almost anchoring her leg there. Yeah. Pull herself in. If you look, there's the thing there. You can see it in the shadow. And everybody's looking. Look at everybody's looking at him. John Connolly, his wife. Now Jackie's been. And it conveniently goes below the frame, right at the right moment. And so a reflection too on the, on his face, like that's yeah. only be described by something up. aluminum. Yeah, yeah, it's rolled up right there. You can see it. It's rolled up. He knows he's it's stuck to his face, so he goes down below the car to get get out of view, right? And and it, it, it's staged, folks. Now the okay, question. Okay, so you can is, stop there, then, Jeff. Now what we're going to do is to go to one minute eight or one hour. Eight minutes, 35 seconds. And though I go into this later, I'm going to go ahead and mention this now. For everybody and anybody that does not know, Clint Hill was U.S. counterintelligence, U.S. Army counterintelligence. If this was not a military operation, he's the only Secret Service agent that was read in, and he was U.S. Army counterintelligence. Okay, so now one minute eight seconds 35 and we're going to play that to one hour 15 minutes oh what was going on really and even optically manipulated those versions in some cases and so um and and i want, I want to get back to one other thing so oliver stone he writes this really really good script and um and he's got the financing for the film finally, right? And the first thing he wants to do is, of course, get uh, the National Archives version of the Zabruder film and give it to a really, really good optical house and make a really good copy of it, right? Now, he's just watched The Men Who sh Killed Kennedy, right? He's all into the conspiracy of it, just like I was when I first saw The Men Who Killed Kennedy, right? And it's a good, really well-done documentary. And, you know, in, in those days, he could not have had that done quickly. That would have taken at least a couple of months to uh, get a good copy. Would, it, to make a, a, a high res from Super 8 was not an easy thing. So it would have taken a couple of months. So he's off in pre-production. He's got his $25 million in the bank for the production. He's off and he's casting and he's in pre-production and he's getting uh, locations and everything. And he's going to make the conspiracy film of all time. And then, you know, his assistant calls and goes, hey, Ollie, we've got the high-res version of the Zapruder film in. Come on over. Let's watch it tonight. And he's, like, really excited. Oh, man, I'm going to finally get to see it. You know, so he goes to the projection room, and they roll a doobie up, and they pass it around the doobie, and they light up the projector. And there, Oliver Stone, who used hundreds of squibs, in a platoon just a few years earlier 
it looks and he sees what he can't believe. He squib on the side of the face and Jackie pulling the string. And he turns as turns off the projector and he's like, holy crap. I've just fired <laughs> a movie. That's why I'm giving him a break, okay? Because he didn't fight it until after he'd already had it. He couldn't pay for it. It was a really expensive job to pay. So he had to wait till he got the budget. So he had to wait till the script was done and the budget was done. And then Arnon Milchen would give him the money, right? So the reaction that day must have just been like, my you know, hair on fire, right? Mm. Oh my God, I can't show this, right? <laughs> if I show this, everyone will see it, right? And so I'm giving him a break on this. I really believe that's how these events happened because that's how it happened with me when I saw his version. I saw the squib immediately and went, oh my God. And his version is better, by the way, than MK Davis's version. In, in his version, you can actually see uh, the squib has a form and you can see a um i don't know it has some kind of skeletal structure on the center of it and of course i, I don't have that film anymore because somebody whoever loaded it up it must have been one of his technicians right probably put it up on youtube thinking it was a really cool thing then he found out about it or somebody found out about it take that down take that down right so they took it down and now you can't find it but that's the version i saw now i'm really good friends with his son sean stone and um and I'd love to get Sean Stone's reaction to all this, but I am cutting you a break, Oliver Stone. I believe you got caught with your pants down. You didn't understand what was going on until it was too late. You saw the low-res versions. You didn't understand it. You, you did exactly what you're supposed to do as a filmmaker. You, you know, By making a high-res version of of that but you saw it you realized that you were not going to make the greatest conspiracy film of all time you were going to end up making the greatest expo expose of a hoax incident and you weren't going to do that because Arnon Milchen and the mafia behind him isn't going to let that happen and so he was forced to re-edit the Zabruder film so you think you saw it but you didn't and what he did and I, I'm not going to show because I don't want to violate copyrights. Um, so get the movie JFK. It's about three-fourths of the way through at the trial. Uh, Kevin Costner is playing uh, Jim Garrison. And they, they show you the Zabruder film. But they do it so cleverly, so deftly, that they literally have like a thing in front of Kennedy during the four seconds as you can actually see the squib. There's actually an obstacle. Uh, it's, it's really clever. They actually edit around. First off, Oliver Stone doesn't mention the, the neck wound at all. Warren Commission thinks there's a neck wound. The conspiracy people think there's a neck, neck wound. Oliver Stone completely knows, does not mention a neck wound at all. And, and when Kevin Costner is telling us what to look for, and this is a brutal film, that's because Oliver Stone served in Vietnam and knows damn well what a neck wound looks like. And he's like, wait a minute, what is the blood? What's going on here? So he knew immediately when he saw the neck wound that something was wrong. And then when he saw him put the squib up on his face, He's like, holy crap, this is a magic act. And um, he was forced to edit around it. But if you want to see him, which means he knows, 
Because you wouldn't have a million dollars to have the 28 seconds of the Zabruder film. Okay, so we'll end at 115, Turned into a high-res film. Um, you're going to show every second of it. You're not going to cut around it. All that money is up there on the screen. And, 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 and he cuts the... The very vital four or five seconds where Kennedy has the squib on his face and he's just sitting there kind of strangely in the car. He's no longer waving. He's no longer doing anything. He's just sitting there until Jackie comes over. Um, that's all cut out. That's all cut out. He cuts it from the time that Kennedy comes around the sign and then to the explosion uh, of the head, which, you know, is very dramatic. But <clears throat> again, Oliver Stone served in Vietnam. He was in combat in Vietnam. He knows what a bloody head wound is from a high-powered rifle. Okay. So what so would now, be interesting is I can get Sean Stone on the show and ask him about this. He's been on before. Excellent. So now what I want to do is to go back to the previous video that we had, the JFK Truth, the Mob CIA, and the Eight Paid Assassins YouTube to show one more clip again, the Parkland Hospital clip. Okay, this will be the last clip, though, because we're right. well over exactly. an hour now, Michelle. Yeah, it will so, be, because it's getting to my conclusion as to what all this really is. All right, and hang on for my thoughts on this as well, because I'm going to offer just a different way to look at things here. And so I'm just going to give me a second to... Uh, locate the other link. I didn't realize we'd be going back to it, but give me a minute and I will have it up. Excellent. Because what I want to show again is this aspect of the Parkland Hospital scene. Time today. Okay. What, what, uh, what part, clearly, Michelle? I'm sorry? What, what's the time stamp? It's 2836 to 2911. I can't even make that up. <laughs> you know what? Right, so 2831. Yeah, it's hard to move exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. The 2836 to 2911. All right. that the plotters had just made their first big mistake. They knew that they had to forensically control the body from the moment the shots were fired. And the moment Kennedy entered trauma room one, that control had to be relinquished. Although they had CIA agents placed in the emergency unit, these people were not aware of the throat wound, which could hardly be seen because it was so tiny. It was at this moment that all the Dallas doctors and nurses like Aubrey Bell made a mental note of this very obvious sign of a frontal entry shot. Okay, is that 2911? One of the Dallas medical team, Dr. Charles. Okay, so at Parkland Hospital, that control had to be relinquished, aware of, and now an explanation for the frontal head wound. But wait, what? What weren't they aware of? 
the small throat wound, what I call, and my conjecture, the deep throat wound. But more on that later. Okay, so again, an exit strategy with backup contingencies is previously whiteboard planned, prepared in advance. Air Force Two, carrying the President of the United States, JFK, arrives prior to Air Force One and to chaos with multiple ambulances, multiple U.S. military helicopters in the ready, and it's at its arrival. An explanation for cause of death is now provided for the world to see and to witness a head kill shot of the President of the United States. And yet, a small deep throat wound that only a very small, very limited number would ever be aware of or encounter, thus a prearranged, pre-orchestrated, devil in the detail to expose and catch the chief coordinator, orchestrator, conspirators, accomplices to the legal definitions conspiracy to assassinate the president of the United States, a second well-disguised deep throat wound, moreover, to catch and flush out the threat from inside, the insider and or insiders. And by the way, and which I find very curiously interesting, just as a sideboard mentioned here, British producer Francis R. Connolly neither mentions nor references in either of his documentaries Watergate, let alone Deep Throat, but more on that in a bit. So what is the possibility does make all this feasible? My conjecture? A prearranged, pre-orchestrated, pre-positioned cadaver at Parkland Hospital in the trauma room with two pre-arranged wounds, and it is not JFK. Wow. So, uh, okay, I got to let people know what, what I have seen beforehand and uh it lines up with with pretty much everything you're saying uh, michelle uh with that uh when i first became awake over 30 years ago i've shared the story uh bill cooper uh william cooper first q level intelligence type guy out there uh whistleblower in the uh i guess it was around 89 uh, he had sent out, he had about $17,000. He sent out as many VHS tapes as he could randomly around the world. And I happened to be one of those people who got one of those tapes. And he had taken information from U.S. Navy intelligence and he was in the CIA level 17. He snuck as much evidence out as he could to blow the whistle. And he became a whistleblower uh, from that day until the day he was murdered. Uh, and he got out a lot of stuff. And one of the things on the original videotape, which was about four hours long, uh, but a big section of it was on the JFK assassination. And he took out confiscated video from the actual, from the CIA. And 
what the confidential video shows is like a very similar clip to what we just saw uh, where the two gentlemen were saying that, you know, there's Jackie climbing out over the trunk and stuff like that. But what the video that Bill Cooper had supplied shows who gave him the head wound. And the reason why, and they point out correctly, everyone in the car is looking at the president at the same time. But the video that he had snuck out of the CIA shows that it was actually the driver that did that shot. And I actually addressed that in part five. Wonderful. I can't wait to get to it. And and I'll just add the conjecture. They say, why was she uh, trying to get out of the car? If shots were coming from above, you might try to go down low in the car. If you just saw the driver shoot, you might be trying to get out of the car. And then it was the Secret Service who grabbed her and stuffed her back down. Boy, this is going to get real interesting, folks. Well, uh, I address all that, too, because I have a theory about what what was going on with Jackie. I do believe this is what happened as the Hollywood squib, and she was reaching out for the tinfoil. I have yeah. evolved on this just because of later parts that I raise um, pieces to the big, bigger puzzle that's going on. But I believe that there was a pre-positioned cadaver in Parkland Hospital with the head wound and the throat wound for a reason, to catch also the inside deep state. And they've been caught. And I think there's no way, Jeff, that that the reaction that Jackie would have had if your husband's just been shot, you rush to the aid of the person. And you also try to prevent damage and try to get away. Unless she was involved in this. Unless, unless she's involved or unless the shooter was inside the car, then you would try to get away. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and this is a obviously a huge story, and it is extremely relevant to today. And uh, next time, I'm going to show you a picture of someone who was very famous, seemed to be in the know, seemed to call out all these Hollywood people before all this stuff started happening that we're finding out about now. And he talks about John John, and you gotta see what he says. So I'm gonna leave it there. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Christy. Are you ready to proceed to, to part two? Well, I gotta end this one before we do that. So uh, thank you for joining us on Right On Radio. Remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor. And Christy, what else should they do? They should definitely make a difference in their community and go to patriotsperspective.com because I am rebuilding the site to tell you exactly how to do it because everybody can make a difference. Amen. Right on radio. Right on radio.